What's going on, guys? It's Mitch from RespectMargin.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map and beyond. Today, joined by special guest Daniel Fertel, president of TRP Co. How are you doing today, Daniel? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 100, man. 100. We're going to get into a couple, couple topics and conversations, but first, I kick off every episode with our guest, uh, origin story around the plant, the plant being cannabis. So whether that's personal, professional, whatever you choose to share, uh, just curious kind of when, when you and cannabis started your journey together. So started my cannabis journey, uh, in 1995, uh, I was 15 and, um, you know, just with some friends, um, smoking it, didn't get high. Um, but, uh, continued on that. I think it was my third or fourth time, uh, just every weekend for that, that month. And then I got, I, I got lit up, uh, at my buddy's house and, uh, pretty much every day since then, minus some, some drug testing and some different things that I had to work through in high school or I had to kind of like do the, uh, clean the system out, but it's pretty much been, um, been nonstop, man. Just had a, had a connection right away. And how did you navigate? Obviously, before getting in the cannabis space, you had, you know, some experience in real estate and, and we'll just say traditional business. It sounds weird when we say traditional to think yeah. anything outside of cannabis because cannabis, traditional is traditional. cannabis is, yeah, traditional cannabis or traditional regular business experience. But yeah. What, what, um, what was it like nav navigating that kind of as a cannabis consumer? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was definitely a lot different than being in the cannabis industry. I'll tell you that. Um, but you know, I just, it, it for me is mostly like a end of the day nightcapper type thing. Like I get a lot more opportunities to do tours and hang out and do day smoking and stuff like that. Weekend warrior stuff. But during the week for me, um, it's, it's it really is still kind of a, a, an evening thing for me, kind of get through my day, uh, and then just mellow out at nighttime. But yeah, when I was in the real estate thing, wasn't a lot of like open talking about it, although you kind of have your people that you knew were cool or you'd be at trade shows and, you know, whatever. You kind of just knew what was up, but it wasn't like, um, you know, I wasn't flaunting it or, or advertising it. And now it's almost like a badge of honor of like dealing with certain people and be like, yeah, I know I'm on like the business side, but I smoke too and I smoke heavy. And so, but there wasn't a lot of that in the real estate world. You kind of had to hide it a bit. Um, I'm sure things have probably changed. You know, I had been out of that game for, about four years now, but, um, but yeah, you had to, you had to kind of keep it much more on the down low, getting clients, doing deals that couldn't really advertise that you're uh, you're a stoner. Yeah. I've done some work in the real estate space and I definitely, you know, you definitely got to keep that, I'll say more wholesome image, right? You free, yeah. free from politics, anything, right. Cause you don't know what, what, sure. what your clients are. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to cut off business, but I also, I also find it funny, you know, like having quite a bit of experience in the real estate realm, like, um, I always say like successful real estate people, like mildly successful people, they're always investing in real estate, right? In one form or another, whether it's residential, commercial, anybody that's like really successful in real estate is investing in business in general. Like they're just like some of the most addicted, uh, addicted to the hustle type people you'll ever meet, whether it's like just making money or investing in things. Is that something that you found like being involved in real estate, did that kind of spark this like just addiction to entrepreneurship and investing or was that something that you kind of just had and you know real estate was the was a vehicle that kind of fed that for a while like which which one kind of came first 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think my personality, I just, I like networking. I like getting things done. I like doing deals. I like working on a lot of different projects. Um, so, you know, early on when I started my career, I got into commercial real estate brokerage and you were just able to just do tons of deals and represent a lot of different people, got into some investment, um, later, but you know, it's funny, like all the, the, the weed guys that I just have a lot of respect for on the genetics and the growing side, they all want to be investing in apartment complexes and, you know, all these real estate guys are now jumping into the cannabis game. The grass is always greener. Um, everyone kind of just, uh, does what they do, but it's, uh, I think real estate is great. I mean, I, I always thought I'd do that for my rest of my life. Um, but then just, you know, kind of, I've always been a cannabis guy and then seeing all this legalization happen and just different things. And I was really just shopping at dispensaries, just buying products and whatnot. And, you know, I saw my local, my local shop turn into a MedMen. And I was like, man, what's what's this MedMen? And and kind of got me curious over all this le- like the legality of everything, and um, started poking my head around and kind of got more active in the industry. And then that's kind of where the journey the journey started. Just kind of took notice of what was happening, and um, really wasn't planned. I, I didn't really plan on just jumping out of an industry which I spent 15 years building, but it um, it just kind of just the path just led the way, and it made a lot of sense to me, and it just felt right. So I just dove, dove in head first. I, I love that, man. I love that. And that, that's my favorite thing about, you know, this industry is that it didn't exist, you know, prior to a couple years ago. So like you didn't, you couldn't really grow up like aspirations of owning a weed. Yeah. Brand. Even <laughs> the cannabis, like that wasn't. I'm older lot. too, man. Yeah. Especially, you know, growing up like nineties. I mean, it just wasn't off the table. I mean, we've got a couple, couple young guys that we hired in our company and literally their first job out of college was trying to win cannabis applications and licenses. And I'm just like, dude, you guys are so lucky. Like it's even a thing or just like having an intern in college interning just his first job, um, you know, in the legal, legal weed space. Um, it's pretty mind boggling even for me and I'm not like super old, but I'm old enough. So the world is changing. Um, and it's, it's super, it's super exciting that this is actually like a, a real career. If, if I if I would have known, if I would have known this is a real thing, it would have been my dream job, but it didn't exist at the time. Yeah, I, I would have. You know, back back when I was doing before it was an industry, I would have pushed the line a little bit harder if uh, if I yeah. would have known that it oh, came, came to this. Man, I was a little more reserved. Hundred percent, man. I I kind of did my little high school and college like the little slinging some weed here and there, but like if I would have known all this would happen, I would have just leaned in just right out of college and just like. Yeah, I, I, Moved to the hillside and just done my thing, but I had to kind of get on the straight and narrow and try and build a build a career. It's yeah. stable. Yeah, you would call me with the branded, you know, Ziplocs, man. I've at least been putting a sticker on them or something back <laughs> back in the day. Uh, we need to bring the Ziplocs back as the mylar. Just like I'm, I'm thinking that that could be a cool little bag for a brand. Max, yeah, do the the, the limited drop, do that that'd be awesome but for for people out there can you break down kind of like what trp is obviously you know you served as a president of cookies retail you're a partner in stores but trp is um you know holdings from my understanding right holdings company that has ownership in vertically integrated assets across a couple different brands but could you kind of give me out of out of your mouth kind of what trp is and your evolution kind of moving from being on the inside inside of cookies to kind of where you're at now yeah, so the TRP we started back in 2019 uh, with a core group of guys, and um, at the time it was really to scale cookies as a brand. 
um, and opened up a lot of stores at the time. Cookies had a couple stores in LA that they kind of fell into a partnership. Um, really wasn't planned for them. They they just the opportunity came up and they had a couple stores open. They had an outsourced supply chain. They were doing some wholesaling in California with Canicraft, and and then they they had some a couple investment groups that were looking at making serious investments into cookies and obviously identifying the strength of the brand um, and seeing the potential of going nationwide um, with a retail rollout. And so they they also kind of knew their strengths between genetics and branding and marketing, um, real estate, entitlement, development, construction. Um, that really wasn't like a, a burner focus, you know, if that wasn't his core strengths. And so the investment groups that were coming in, they said, hey, you know, there'd be a good viable company to really go and do and execute on all this stuff. And so that's where we got um, brought in and and then really started just opening up stores and building up the operations um, and and really scaling that over the last four years. Awesome. And, and that's such a big talk, right? Like whether it's on LinkedIn or the streets, right? This this talk between, you know, legacy and and business, right? Or, or the cannabis culture and business. And there's a little bit of tension at times where we talk things get too skewed one way or the other. A lot of the, the conversation online tends to be more like, anti-business culture but there is an aspect uh inside of meetings between the business guys and the money behind all this of like you know some of these guys just aren't with the structure or the accountability or whatever the systems the set systems that might be in play in other you know traditional industries or industries that have existed you know for a longer space and you know certain folks i think as such as yourself have been able to find uh, you know, success being that bridge, that conduit between both worlds. So in, in from your perspective, what's that importance, obviously, with TRP of really aligning itself with these legacy, you know, undeniably legacy brands and moving them into this viable and scalable business model, kind of what's the importance of A, being that infrastructure and B, like making sure that infrastructure is kind of connected to the legacy and the culture? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I kind of I just, I stop myself from responding to so many things I want to respond to because so many people have so many thoughts and, and I get it. Like I get both sides. Um, but the guys that are on the extreme of both sides are, are they, it just, it, it, it aggravates me because you need both. And so there's arguments, there's arguments to knock both sides, but I think the guys that are going to win and we're not perfect. Like we're trying to figure this thing out. I don't think anyone's actually figured it all out yet, but you have to, you have to have corporate structure. You have to have a profitable business um, to be able to scale. Um, otherwise it's just not possible. So you need systems in place. You need people that know how to read contracts and do applications and do accounting and spreadsheets and, you know, all these different things. Um, but then you also, you need the genetics, you need the cool branding, you need all the hype stuff too. And so I think the guys that kind of configure both out are going to be the winners in the end. Um, I think there's a lot of big cannabis companies that really kind of started out that are, um, you know, they've gone into these moated states and they've won these licenses and they've kind of had these little like mini monopolies, which is awesome. Like I'm super jealous of like, not even jealous. I'm, not, I'm envious of like what they have, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of these really good brands that um, haven't gotten the opportunities to play in a lot of these smaller states that I think can be really successful. And I think it's important to, to be able to do both. 
And that is kind of like what we're trying to bring to the table is like, Hey, look, like, yeah, we're some real estate guys. And, you know, we've got some guys that are, that love cannabis. We've got cannabis people that are just pure cannabis guys. We have some guys that don't even smoke on our team. Um, but those aren't necessarily the guys that we're sending out to like, you know, build relationships with the guys that are super into the genetics and the smoking. So it's like a very fine balance. Um, but it's, um, there's value, there's value in both of those, of those things. And so I personally think that, um, making a bet on, on just going to limited licensed states and then being able to scale brands that really don't have any kind of emotional attachment to the consumer, I don't think is going to be in 10 or 20 years, like a very scalable business. So I think all those guys kind of got to get it when they can, which is kind of like now, and hopefully they're going to adapt and, um, and team up with some of these guys because really like all the good genetics and all the good brands, I mean, they come from the streets, they come from the legacy market. Um, I honestly couldn't, I couldn't really name any, any brands that have been created. Like I know that I know the, the companies, but I don't know any of their brands. Um, but you can say the complete opposite with a lot of the California brands, even some stuff up in Washington, Oregon, like you, you know, those brands. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a mix and match. Yeah, and I think, you know, some I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, and they were talking about that, you know, the, the large scale, like you just mentioned, I don't know what, what words you said, but like the large scale brand that do, it, company, I guess company doesn't necessarily have a set brand. They don't really have a story. It's just kind of a name and products. They're in these limited license plates. So they've kind of bought their way in or maneuvered their way in to kind of get that mind share, but they don't have that story. And someone was bringing up when you look at like alcohol which I know some people make a lot of comparisons. Some people fucking hate it when the comparisons get made. But, you know, for the sake of this, we'll, we'll follow it down this. And so, you know, obviously alcohol was prohibition. And you look at like Jack Daniels and certain brands were actually names of people who were bootleggers and criminals who transitioned over from prohibition to this, this uh, you know, recreational market. And now here we are, you know, I don't know, half a half a century or so, you know, a century down the line. Right. We we lose connection. We don't remember the story of, you know, Jack Daniels, the bootlegger. You know, I, I didn't grow up, you know, hearing that or knowing that. Obviously, he didn't have an Instagram where he was, uh, you know, giving us stories of inside his life, trapping booze, you know, out sure. the sticks. But but that that connection and that story translated in this brand that's now a massive consumer good. And I think certain people, when they get in cannabis, they draw these connections with, Oh, you know, you don't Crest toothpaste doesn't, you know, you don't know the owner of that. And it's like, well, sure. But people don't have the same relationship with Crest as they do with these other products. And, and obviously working with cookies and, and you scaling out some of those stores, you have seen having what a brand attached to a singular legacy story, how that translates, you know, market after market, not many brands can pop up out of California and put a store in another state, let alone, was it like 14 states at this point? So when some people chalk that up as, oh, it's all hype, as in it's a thing that's not being lived up to, clearly it is being lived up to in some regard. So as you have seen that kind of, at least the cookies model scale, these retail locations across the country, like, is the hype real, man? Like you're on the ground, is, is the hype real? The hype is real. I, I will say that the business model is being perfected. Um, you know, there's, uh, I mean, when you get people camping for five days, um, you know, in Worcester, Massachusetts, just to be first or a hundredth in line, um, showing up with tattoos on their body, like people in tears meeting burner. I mean, 
there is a there is a crazy personal attachment and and the hype is real i think i think where you could you could knock is just like the follow-up and and actually like you know being a part of that community and not just kind of being a california brand that pops a store up um so that's that's what we're striving for because you know like cookies is only 20 to 50 percent of of the shelves and so it's up to the operators and the partners to to really make that store special on an ongoing basis. But from a product perspective and a brand perspective, um, the hype is definitely real. I don't know how you can deny it. I mean, you can, you can hate on cookies and you can hate on the genetics or quality or I've heard every last knock on it and, and they're not all wrong on what they, what their opinions are and they can be valid, but you, you got to at least give a little tiny bit of, of props for what cookies has created and it wasn't overnight i mean they've been doing it for 20 years now you know and so girl scouts cookies got founded however long ago you know not going on 15 years so it's like there's something super special um and and I, i've witnessed it now um in different states i've you know i've been over to barcelona helping set up that that social club and seeing it in the magic in, in amsterdam and all the different places and just like all the, just the people in across the globe that are just fans and rocking the clothing and just smoking the genetics. And, and just the fact that if you look at any, any genetic that has a dessert in its name, I mean, it kind of all probably came from the original cookies genetics. And so you got to give at least some props to, to burner and Jai and, and really the cookies fam for, for doing what they did. Yeah, major major influence on the game, and I've always told people I think that branding around a strain and then building like a house of brands. You know, Burner talks a lot about it about kind of like the music route and a label, um, and obviously I come from that world, so I see those parallels. But for people that haven't operated in that, I think just looking at it at, at cannabis as a CPG and, and being on the forefront of that is something that I think I, I would give them from the outside looking at a, a lot of credit for really building that out. It was obviously my opinion, the inevitable future. It wasn't like it's this super crazy outlandish idea, but they were definitely the first and definitely on the cutting edge. And from my opinion, set a lot of those trends when it comes to branding around strains, branding around flavor profiles, like, they really did that shit first and honestly still continue to do it right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds all easy, like in 2008 to be like, Oh yeah, well it needs a package and cool artwork. But like the reality of it is it was all in jars and plastic bags. And so, um, yeah, it does seem obvious, but, um, they did it and they were some of the first guys to do it. So, you know, much props and respect to them. I, I remember I remember being in Seattle like 2009, I don't know, 10, 11, somewhere around then. And people, you know, it was like, do you have real Girl Scout cookies? Do you have real? And it, you're right. It was in a Ziploc bag. So you could have put anything in it and pass it off as that. But people were, you know, the Cherry Pymus or the Durban or whatever. I can't remember the exact specifics of the original GSC, but uh I, I remember people on that hunt and it you know it mattered it mattered and it didn't well it didn't have a brand it didn't have a logo but that fucking genetic mattered for sure and there's always been like like a huge tie to washington seattle and um you know that cookies clothing store has been in belltown for a minute so even before cookies really blew up they they had some roots in seattle and they were doing some different different things and burner and jai were going up to washington for for a minute so um you know, Seattle and Washington in general has always kind of had that that connection. And it's just West Coast, you know, in general, from Vancouver all the way down to San Diego. I mean, it's just there's there's that West Coast tie. 
good weed, quality weed, quality genetics, you know, everyone, they kind of all have their different personality, even between SoCal and NorCal. And then Oregon's kind of in between and they kind of, you know, anti-Cali mostly, but they, they like some <laughs> of the genetics and some of them they don't. And Washington, Seattle's a little bit more tied into like the LA life, but uh, and then you get to Vancouver and it's like totally different. It's like, they kind of got that Amsterdam connection. It's just yeah. like, it's just, uh, but it's really cool. That's what makes the industry super fun. Yeah, Seattle and Portland always like from from the music perspective. I always said they always wanted to be, be the Bay. Man, working yeah, yeah, yeah. music studios out, up here forever is so so many guys came in where I'm like, this dude sounds like he's straight out of Oakland. And he's probably never for even sure. been there. Uh, they they always want to be so obviously like for you got you guys TRP obviously you guys made the news. I know we covered it, but the the opening in Florida, you guys had a real successful launch with with cookies. Well, not just the retail because obviously in that state you have to come in vertically integrated. Yeah, and I know we had we had some quotes from yourself in that, but I'm curious just kind of how long that took to get in place for people that don't know because obviously finding yeah. the real estate, getting the licensing, the permits. And then we're talking about an agricultural product. So, the, you know, the cycle of just once everything's greenlit to grow, the time from that to having it actually ready for sale and having the store ready to sell it in. What what was that lead time and, and just that whole process look like for you guys? Yeah, so we, um, it was uh, from the time we wrote our, because that was a, you know, you can't just like acquire, you can't apply for license yet in Florida. There was the original guys that got it and then a bunch of guys that got it through lawsuits. So if you want to enter in Florida, you really had to have been one of the original guys or you had to acquire it somehow. So we identified Florida as like a, a really good opportunity. And we started talking to pretty much everyone in the state that was, that had a license. And um, so from the time we wrote our first offer to the time that we actually sold weed in the Miami store and opened that store, it was like a two and a half year journey um, from that, from the time we actually like closed on the license, to the time we opened the store was about 20 months. Um, but we spent, uh, we spent a good amount of time and then during our negotiation, COVID broke out and just kind of like everything, the world changed. Everyone wasn't sure if the world as we knew it was, was over. And like, literally there was so much uncertainty and, um, and it created a bit of an opportunity. I think we, we did, I think get, um, we had a really good situation. We had a really patient seller. We had a really, um, a good structure. I think that was really fair for both sides. I've seen a lot of these deals that have gone down. It's just like. I don't know if it's going to take you like a million years to make your money back type situation, but I feel like the way that we structured it was super fair for both sides and it gave us ample time to get going and start generating revenue. And so we, um, yeah, it's 20 months start to finish. Um, we took a lot of time to, to dial in the right team down there, um, get the genetics. I mean, we had been growing, um, We'd been growing for about 10 months prior to actually even opening the store. We wanted to make sure the quality was on point, uh, dialing in rooms, getting the right amount of strains, right amount of skews. So when we opened, um, we were able to have flour, live rosin, um, both jars and pens. Um, we went all solventless to open, um, really focused on quality and genetics. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was the craziest project I've ever worked on in my life. I mean, it was like, kind of like some life's work stuff. And we now we're just like scratching the surface where, you know, we've got one store, we've got, you know, some level of cultivation, but the next five years are going to be um, really explosive growth for Florida. Um, we've got a lot of stores in the pipeline. We're under construction on a lot of different, on a lot more lights, um, bringing more SKUs to the table, bringing additional brands down to Florida. Um, we see a really unique opportunity down there to 
just control the whole process from um, from seed to sale, everything in between, the marketing, customer journey, the construction, the build out. So there's really nowhere to hide. Um, you're just you're exposed. You're you're on an island, and it's up to you to to get it done. So I'm super proud of the team where we've gotten so far. Um, but we're just uh, I mean we're in the top of the first inning. Um, so it's, 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 it's exciting. It's scary. It's scary and all this, you know, uncertainty and all these different things, but it's, uh, it's really fun. Yeah. With, with that scale of vertically integrated operation, if you said five, you know, it hadn't really been around, but if you said five years, I've been, that's fair. So 20 months is still pretty, uh, pretty quick for that, for that level of task out there. While it, so, it might sound quick to, to, to some people that's, or it's, yeah, it was, it was 20 months of like just every day there was, there was lots of people working on Florida. So it, it was a lot, but I think, a lot of our growth will happen over the next five years in Florida and we'll eventually have a footprint that we're satisfied with, with the stores. And then it's just about, you know, dialing in the different products and SKUs and hopefully Florida loosens up a little bit on some packaging and, and how they allow you to, to sell edibles and just different form factors and stuff like that. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch them. And then obviously rec, I mean, when rec, when rec gets approved, hopefully here, um, in 2024, uh, crossing our fingers. Um, but once that happens, then obviously get all the tourists that come there. There's 100 million tourists a year mm-hmm. that go to Florida. There's 21 million people. I mean, we see Florida as, as kind of top top three potential markets in the country. Obviously, California, New York, Florida, Texas, when they get it together. So, I mean, it's kind of like right up in there. Yeah, and and obviously with the with cookie stores opening up in an area like Miami, right? Like that's high tourist, high like I don't know. There's a lot of celebrity influencers, social media. There's a lot of things that mix in, in an area like that. It's not necessarily the media mecca of an LA or New York, but obviously, yeah. you know, whether it's professional sports, the flexing lifestyle, whatever, Miami holds a like, holds a special part. And so having that recognized brand is definitely going to benefit from tourism. Yeah, Miami has blown up during COVID. I mean, they're just the, the, the governor down there. I mean, he's just kind of allowed um, a lot of stuff to happen. And so you got Californians moving down. I mean, a lot of people are moving to Florida right now. Um, our spot in Miami, we've got multiple spots going to be opening in Miami. Our first location um, wasn't necessarily the flashiest. It was really kind of like infill, like kind of like true Miami. Um, we do have some, some stuff going on Miami Beach and some kind of like you know, sexier areas, quote unquote, but the, um, you know, all of downtown Miami and all of that stuff is, has been, um, they don't allow dispensaries, although there's one guy that just kind of won a three-year lawsuit with the city. So that's going to start opening up a bit, but really just Miami beach and, um, some of the unincorporated areas of Miami are the only places you can open, um, right now. Um, so we, uh, yeah, Miami's a great one, but we're excited for, you know, you got Tampa. I mean, every market up there, Tampa and Orlando and Jacksonville, um, there's so many big markets that um, don't have really, um, you know, just kind of like scratching the surface with, with cannabis and brands and genetics and all those things. And so there's just a lot of potential down there. And there's a few other players that are, are, are crushing it in Florida too, which is exciting. It's not just like us alone. I mean, it's kind of like a whole movement that's happening in the last year that I think is, is really improving things and access to patients and better products. So I mean, the people, if you're a smoker and you want to buy legal weed in Florida, your life got a lot better in the last probably six months. Mm. 
And and so you guys are really liking that model, right, of being vertically integrated as opposed to some of these other states where it might be different partnerships at the retail and the cultivation level. We like it. Um, yeah, we, we do like it. It's not a feasible business model to do everywhere. Sure. Um, just because it's, you know, it's so cost, it's so costly. Um, but I think we, there will be a few states and I think, you know, eventually state walls fall down. You don't want to have, you know, 35 cultivations in 35 different states. So I think with some partnerships and aligning with TRP, aligning with some different cultivators in some states that, that, uh, that kind of see eye to eye to us with, with brands and genetics and quality are going to be really important. Um, but we, uh, we will have some additional cultivations that we own and control and then mix in some partners that are, are super trusted. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game, but I wish, I wish we could have a cultivation in every state. It's just the man, even the manpower alone to operate those mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, a lot of these good growers are going to be, you know, with all these places opening up, I mean, there's just a finite number of these guys that can grow at the level and at the scale. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, these guys are going to be getting sucked up, le sucked up left and right um, that can execute at that level. So it's going to be interesting when there's just all these different places that are opened up and kind of uh, needing to demand the highest quality. It's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of groups to do it just because of, uh, of manpower. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've visited a lot of grows and I always say, you know, that it's hard to find weed that doesn't look good in the facility. But when you go buy it at retail, does it, you know, does it check all those boxes on, you know, bag appeal, nose, smoke? I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not a cultivator like that, but I feel like the cure probably, you know, when people say the cure is the most important part, I definitely can tell a lot of people are fucking that up because a lot of shit looks great in pots, but not so great. Yeah. Hard, man. It's hard to, yeah, well, there's a, you can kind of tell if it's like shitty on the plant a little bit, but it's so much more forgiving because it's like, it's a, it's fresh, it smells good. You know, you, you get a little squeeze and mm -hmm. of course it's going to be sticky. Um, but yeah, then you go in the store and you're just like, man, it's like, you know, you crumple it up and it's like dust. Um, and yeah, they just botch up the, the cure and the trim process and just how you handle it. And Florida, we really like for that because we control the touch points. So, we, you know, it's not like there's five grimy paws getting on the weed by the time it gets to the consumer. It's really just like A to B, which is really cool. Um, but it's really tough. I mean, supply chain is it's no joke. Um, and I mean, especially in California, it's just, you know, it's such a big state and, and moving things around to all the different places and the stores um, with with all the different partners. It's uh, it's it's a full time job for for a handful of people. And then, you know, outside of, or, or it might be some of the brands under cookies, but whether it's outside of cookies or some of like in the sub brands are there, what, what are some of the other like smaller brands or up and coming brands that, that you've got your eyes on that are, that are in the portfolio? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, on, um, so with Florida, we, uh, our head of, our head of manufacturing, uh, Marcus from nature's lab, so he's had Nature's Lab since about 2008, um, legacy guy. He's running all of our manufacturing down there. So that's a brand that we're going to be launching. Um, you know, obviously our partnership with Dr. Green Thumb and Insane. Um, so we'll be launching stores across the country, um, as well as taking those genetics into all the different states that TRP goes into. Um, so that's super exciting. Um, Florida in particular, we did a deal and, and Actually, the first brand, first non-cookies brand to launch down in Florida was Gas House mm -hmm. um, with the OG Pluto, which was super cool. Um, 
Kingston's a, a Miami guy, so that was got a lot of local support. But we dropped that. We saw um, we saw a lot of a lot of demand there. Uh, we're bringing Compound Genetics as a brand um, down to Florida, which is super super cool. A lot of respect for what those guys are doing. Um, and um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have some more announcements um, in the next couple months here. Um, keeping some cards closer to the chest um, for the time being, just because uh, it seems like it's an arms race in Florida right now with. Uh, with genetics and brands. So, so, um, we, uh, we're definitely kind of got some, some things planned down there. Um, but we, uh, you know, we're, we're mostly in Florida looking to align with breeders and, and genetics guys, um, you know, brands too, if they carry some weight, but, um, you know, it's like, because you can't really do a lot of fun things with packaging, you kind of just, you know, going directly to the breeders and really putting those guys in the forefront, um, is super important for, to us. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're hyper-focused on that. Um, and then from the re- retail standpoint, you know, rolling out the cookie stores and continuing that and then adding the Dr. Green Thumb stores to the lineup. Um, we've got some some multi-state launches. We've got just got an approval in Boston for Dr. Green Thumb, bringing them out to Michigan um, and a few other states. Um, so, yeah, we're just kind of marching, marching across the country and trying to, to bring something different to the table as an as a MSO, multi-state operator or whatever. Um, and just trying to come, come at it with a brand first genetics, first quality, first mentality, um, you know, versus just like, Hey, we're trying to just have a bunch of licenses and Mm. put out a bunch of mids and, you know, sell it, you know, it's like, we're trying to, we actually, uh, it's a passion for us too. It's not just like a money grab. Um, you know, we could have all stayed in our other jobs and made good livings, but this, um, this is something that's a little bit more unique and can kind of be a part of history. Um, you know, I'm kind of like a, I love looking back and you mentioned like alcohol and prohibition and all that. I mean, I'm like a total like boardwalk empire, just junkie, like that kind of thing. And just like seeing what happened with alcohol and just, you know, there was a gazillion brands that all kind of rushed and then just, you know, a few of them that are left 50 years later. But then the fact that, you know, there's billion dollar tequila companies that are, that are launching in 2021. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's hope for everybody. You just have to have the right plan, the right alignment with partners and just bring something a little bit different to the table. So we're, I just feel like we're so early in this thing that um, even though we're kind of not, and there's like all these States have opened up, it's just, I just feel like we're just so early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the game's just getting started. Um, and, and so obviously, you know, Florida is vertically integrated outside of that market. You know, you guys operate in two different forms with retail being one and then the wholesale being the other side. What's been the approach to making sure that those both kind of grow at tandem? Because obviously, if you guys open up retail anywhere, you have to have some sort of, you know, whether it's cookies or you go on the Dr. Green Thumb in the same route, you have to have some of that in-house brand ready. But then obviously, the big value play, if you're not in a vertically integrated market, is not just selling your product at a store that you own. So what's been the process of kind of building both of those channels where those channels obviously vary quite differently, you know, from state to state? Yeah, right now we we've tested um, California, um, so we've launched wholesale in California. Uh, we're going to be going to Michigan next and a few other states, but it's it's very it's a very intensive process to do that, um, and it's it's not easy. So we're we're not just trying to like roll out ten states overnight. Um, we we definitely want to focus on states where we'll have a big retail footprint. Um, you know, most of the states that we're looking at right now is really finding the right operation partner. Um, we invested in a cultivation in Michigan. Um, and so we've got a really great partner on that front. 
Um, and they're going to be running a handful of different brands that are already in the market. Um, so we feel, we feel good about kind of giving them the genetics to, to run and, and supply our stores. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of, of the overall strategy, it's really just continuing on opening the stores. We've got stores operating in eight states right now. Um, we control licenses in 14. So we still have um, another six to go. We won in Illinois. We've got license in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So there's some kind of like juicier limited market states that um, have taken us a really long time to procure, procure licenses in. Um, a lot of the licenses in the stores we've opened so far have been some of the, I'm not going to say the easier states to get into, but you know, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Oklahoma, um, you know, Florida wasn't very easy, but that was kind of the beginning of some of the, the fruits of our labor that, um, you know, getting into Pennsylvania is not easy or Florida is not easy. So we do have those opportunities locked in. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's like a multi-year development um, timeline. Um, but I think, you know, probably by the end of the, by the end of the year, by the end of the year, I think we'll probably, excuse me, by the end of next year, we'll, we'll be in about 14 states with stores. That's yeah, and, and wholesale and wholesale in the markets that wholesale, allow. I would probably estimate that we will be in maybe six states by the end of by the end of next year. Okay. Big, big, big growth, big growth, man. Um, Daniel, really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. For Thank people you. out there that want to get more information, trp.co on Instagram at trp.hq. Anything else you want to plug before I get you up out of here, man? No, man. Uh, for our cookie stores, it's at Cookies Retail um, on Instagram. All of our stores have accounts. Uh, tons of respect for everything that you guys do. I've been following you guys for a while. Super flattered that you guys reached out. Appreciate you guys having us on and, and covering the cookie stores and the TRP story. Um, really do appreciate the work that you guys do because uh, you know I know you guys are really passionate about it and uh, it means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Humbled, man. That's, that's what we're here to do, man. Re report on what we see and, you know... Nice. Try try and smoke all the flavors we can get our hands on. Uh, well, let me know when you're in LA, man. I'll get you some get some additional flavors to try out. And see what you guys think. Most certainly, man. Most certainly. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. We'll be out with more content later this week. Stay tuned at respectmoreregion.com. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Leave a comment, even if it's hate. Leave that, and we'll see you guys next time.